Hey, welcome to another commission podcast. This is a fucking doozy. Uh, Josh Black stepped up to the plate and had us watch the movie Pontypool, which I've been quietly. I look at the I look at the uh, the commission podcast queue uh, in a different way. Like I look at stuff like, oh, this is definitely something I'm familiar with. I'm gonna knock. I'm gonna crush it. Versus like, oh, this is something and it sounds interesting. And then I get to something like Pontypool, which gives me nothing. Never heard of it. And my first reaction is fear. Like, oh, my God, this is someone's favorite movie and it's going to be some kind of. F- and But but Josh set me at ease. He's like, look, this is my favorite movie. But if you guys want to rip it, rip it. Like, uh, you know, it doesn't doesn't matter to me. I think that would be as interesting as anything. So I'm like, OK. Yeah. Um, I feel like we should do the radio announcer voice yeah. intro, Panty, panty Pool, Panty yeah. Pool. The long winter of our discontent began as I sat down to watch Panty Pool. <laughs> a strange thing happened to me this morning. <laughs> Someone paid me $300 to watch a movie. When, Seven, do, you call, when do you call it quits? Or yeah. something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so it's a 2008 movie, Pontypool, that I'd never heard of, directed by Bruce McDonald, who I'd never heard of. Yeah. Starring Stephen McHattie, which I'd never heard of, but I instantly recognized him as being in just a shit ton of things. Like, name a, name a TV show. Oh, so, so much. Uh, Lost. Is he in Lost? I, maybe. That's maybe. Cast. Um, but I, like, he's in one of Beverly Hills Cops. He's in <laughs> Basketball. He's in History basketball? of Violence. He plays Who the, is- I think, the main villain or, uh, uh, of a uh, history of oh, violence. Oh shit! Okay, the he was in the Fountain. He was in Three Hundred as the Loyalist Senator. Like he, you, you, he was. He played fucking the classic Night Owl from The Watchmen. Holy shit! Like okay. you, you will, you will know you've seen this guy. And he always plays like this gruff, sometimes menacing, sometimes villainous, sometimes hard spun. Uh, he's been yeah. in like three different Star Treks. Um, he's fantastic in this, I gotta say. Yeah, so like I said, you'll I, and I recommend this is this is a free streamer on Netflix. If you have a Netflix account, you own you you have the rights to stream this movie. And I'm gonna recommend anyone that has any kind of interest in uh, a, a a satirization of popular culture, zombie films, horror films, mm-hmm. uh, offbeat surreal comedy. Uh, I'm casting a pretty broad net, but I think it's fair because to say. I love this movie. I thought this movie was amazing from start to finish. It confused the shit out of me at places. <laughs> I was really concerned that we were heading into the side of a mountain, but the movie managed to pull it out just enough to scrape the underbelly on the the mountain ridge. I, I, I was blown away. What do you think? Yeah, so, I mean, we're probably going to get pretty spoilery here. So if you haven't seen this movie and it sounds like it's up your alley, go watch it now um, and come back to this. But Yeah, because you, you don't want to water down the experience right. with expectations other than the fact Absolutely, that I, yeah. I think it's amazing. Uh, I, I agree. Like, I agree both in sentiment and kind of on the details, too, because, like, I, th- I think it's a, a pretty amazing movie both from a social commentary standpoint and also, like, from you know mixing up the horror genre the specifically the zombie genre which is very stale around 2008 yeah or, when i saw that this become... was a unique spin on the zombie i my I, I my eyes were already rolling into the back of my head because like right. how could you possibly do something unique so it's interesting because there's like uh, in the remake of day of the dead there's actually a scene a lot like what happens here where you know it's not it's not language based or anything like that but it's uh, these well, people yeah, yeah. Get... Wait, a second, wait a second. We should probably. I already hit. I already hit people with the spoiler warning. Okay, so if they're but, but, here. But, but I think I feel off. like there might be str- like people like go say, okay, well, I'm still listening to the pitch, and then you just pivoted right into spoiler town. 
All right. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, that's It gets on worse you. from here on. Get, that's on you. Shut I it gave off. you the spoiler shut warning. Shut it off now. Go watch it. Uh, yeah, on Netflix, it's, it's free. It's really strong. But in, in Day of the Dead, they the remake, they do a scene where these people get trapped inside of a radio station, like a pirate radio station. And I thought this was like a super interesting setup for what I hope the rest of the movie would be there. Of course, you know, it doesn't do that in Day of the Dead. It just goes off the rails, complete zombie chaos. Um, mm-hmm. But but this is a really interesting take because it's it's kind of isolated. It's in a single room for the most part. Um, certainly in a single building. It's super low budget, but doesn't look at it because no, doesn't it doesn't look like beautiful. it because like, of the way the reason it's low budget is it's essentially one giant. It was made. Yeah, it's a bottle movie. It, it's 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 the definition of a bottle movie. Right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, even the the one scene outside of the place where he's driving down the road, it's all pitch black. Like yeah. he, he, you can't see anything. It's so. got like one main cast, two minor cast, and then uh-huh. a, a handful of guest stars and extras, and they make the fucking most out of it. Yeah, yeah. And there's actually a a Dawn of the Dead remake um, connection here because Boyd Banks. I think his name is one of the guys who's in the Dawn of the Dead remake, and here he plays, I guess, Osama bin Laden? Really? In the the, the Lawrence and the Arabians, which I want to talk about later. But yeah, he, oh. plays, he plays that guy. Okay. Uh, so he, he's in the original Dawn, or the, the remake of the original Dawn of the Dead. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought it was fantastic, and it's it's it also confused the shit out of me. Sure. Can um, I can I get to Josh Black's introduction real quick? I sure, want to get yeah. this in. Um, mm-hmm. you know, since he's you know paying the the as mentioned three hundred dollars. Uh, Pontypool is one of my favorite movies. It currently holds an eighty three percent fresh on Rotten Tomatoes and a fifty four percent on media, Metacritic. Pontypool is based on a nineteen ninety five novel by Tony Burgess called Pontypool Changes Everything. He also wrote right. a radio play and film script. Yeah. It's hard to really talk about Pontypool without splitting the story, as Jim just uh, demonstrated, but it's essentially a mystery horror film that takes place in real time. The entire film plays out in a radio station with the majority of the action being conveyed through phone calls the radio station receives as people in the town begin acting in a strange manner and start harming one another. From the opening monologue about Mrs. French's cat, Honey Missing, to the bizarre post-credit sequence, the film confounds and defies reason. There are parts of the movie where absolutely nothing makes sense, and I began to wonder if I was having a stroke. I too, like what? Yeah. What? What did I just smoke that <laughs> that started this? Uh, when the movie was released in DVD in early 2010, I was working at Blockbuster Video. Uh, R.I.P. Uh, it took uh, I took it home like so many other movies and gave it a watch so I could discuss or recommend it to customers. Pontypool confused me, and on first viewing, I didn't really think I liked it. The thing is, it stuck with me. For days, I continued to think about it and analyze what I'd seen, challenge what I thought I understood about it. By the time it reached a street date and I could talk with customers that had watched it, I was growing pretty fond of it. One of my regular customers, Jeremy, who at the time was a teenage movie lover with a keen eye for detail and sharp mind, stopped by one afternoon. Do you really need a keen eye for detail and a sharp mind to enjoy teenage movies? No, not usually. Hmm. Um, maybe he loves teenage movies, like movies that came out 15 years ago. Oh, okay. That, yeah. that could have some discrimination involved, mm-hmm. uh, discriminating taste. Uh, since then, I've watched the movie about a dozen times, often forcing friends and family to watch it with me. Uh, almost all of them leave the experience feeling empty and not <laughs> able to understand the bizarre movie they just watched. However, weeks later, they're still talking about it and end up loving it, <laughs> which is interesting because I totally buy that. And 
it's weird how meta the movie gets yeah. on first view. Yeah. That's what's I I feel like that's partially what's so confusing about it is that it it takes the confusion that you feel from a plot perspective and integrates it into the plot of the movie by the end of it. Like, am I suffering? Did I just get infected? Like, right. is this is this like a ring situation where I watch something and I'm going to because I'm going to hold Cecily down and make her watch it. Right. Uh, probably this weekend. Like, I got several people that I'm going to fucking drop this bomb on. And they'll probably, I mean, like, the, I, uh. I mean, I guess for the people who are are going to listen to this podcast without having seen the movie, maybe we should explain what the actual uh, It'd end, be funnier if we end didn't. of the movie is. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe from a meta perspective. Okay, so yeah. Let's... But, like, it's essentially, like, people are being infected by language, and it is causing them to uh, turn turn effectively into zombies who are trying to spread the message of this of whatever they've been infected with. Yeah, like remember the Monty Python skit where the allies developed the funniest joke in the world. No. Like, what if that were real? Okay. Like, and 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 the other thing is, like, I thought the science of this movie was all horseshit. Oh, of course, yeah. But it's one of those things where they sell it. I guess it's kind of like in the leftover sense, where like they sell the universe and the reality of it so well that like if you are starting to nitpick the science of it, it's like you're you're missing the whole point, man. It's fantasy, and ultimately, it's and it's all about allegory, allegory too. Yeah, like yeah. what is what is the media doing with us? What are you know right. bad actors? Mm-hmm. Not in a in a movie sense, but like you know, uh, a crisis actor. What are they doing to the media? That's doing to us. Like, right. these are all questions that a movie asks you to contemplate as you're watching it and trying to struggle to understand what's going on. And then at the end, they purposely confuse try to confuse everyone as the solution, which just mm-hmm. adds to the meta. <laughs> which and it's so cool because like they take the standard trope of a person slowly turning into a zombie and they show them as getting like. A brain bug stuck in them like yeah. they 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 can't they have to start repeating the words and a more confused and like and then like they reset and they resurrect as a zombie but it's not immediately obvious like yeah like like the one doctor who's been studying him is like you know this person's hunting and she doesn't even know it yet uh-huh. um because it's not like they're dead or anything it's just like their mind has been reprogrammed by this mimetic bug that they've ingested yeah and, they've got an idea that they want to tell people about and that that, that idea, idea is just coming into form right like right. they're slowly starting to grasp it and understand it and then Eventually, they want to convey it to everyone else. It's, and, and, it's and, very and it, and it manifests itself in a uncontrollable urge to eat your words through another person's mouth. Like eat it's it's like it's, it's, that's why like these people are getting eaten and their lips are getting chewed off because the what what this manifests itself this this particular craziness is like this compulsion becomes so strong that the only way you feel like you can get it out is to literally like put your words in someone else's mouth uh-huh. and you know and that I think because like the science is horseshit but there's enough hooks to like you know if you've heard if you've seen the like fungus that can take over ants and and make them do weird shit and like how right. how you can hack a person's biology in certain ways um and you gotta like with any of these horror movies and, and, like you i gotta like throw the fact, science out the window but i but the in the the science is kind of crunchy and and self-consistent enough in the world like the scientists explaining okay. the reason yeah. they repeat it because like you know if you repeat the word giraffe mm-hmm. like say it right now 15 times by the end i guarantee the word giraffe will no longer sound like a word right and they're like it's the, an immune response it's, in, it's yeah real like the people that repeat the like the, the the it's the like the mind's way of fighting it like they're desperately trying to kill the bug and right. you know and then that how they stumble upon a possible solution mm-hmm. 
to to you know to uh, yeah that's super interesting to yeah. to equate it with a, a different word to to make the original word lose its meaning and pick up new meaning or yeah so now now you're compul- now when you want to do your compulsion it's some instead of killing someone it's a benign thing like kissing someone right and then now you've you satisfied the brain's desire to get this out of it in a in a less less dangerous way yeah, no, it's a it's a super interesting concept just from the ground up. The the idea that you know language could literally infect people to the point where they become zombies. Because I mean that that's I, I don't know. I find it interesting, an interesting fresh take on the horror genre, the mm-hmm. the zombie genre specifically. But like also, you know, it's ripe with allegory, especially given the setting of this with inside the radio studio. Yeah, which that's the other thing. Like, and I don't know if this is interesting. You had similar thoughts, but I had a lot of like bald move meta thoughts because this, right? Yeah, like you know, it's, I, I said this in the um, you know gross point blank podcast. Is I'm in love with the idea of this kind of radio show where the it's Nanny like driver it's gets like, on and talks about her love life <laughs> or, or this guy where he's like this isn't the truth it's someone it's someone's authentic truth being expressed through the radio like it's like i might not agree with him but he's got a worldview that's interesting that he's willing to stand by and, and and he's got this wry sardonic look and he's taking like you know this this is the kind of radio show i think that like uh fucking um uh, what was that show set in Alaska that I used to love? Um, Northern per- Exposure. Northern Exposure. Yeah. Like, this is the kind of radio show that Northern Exposure would have, except for they'd probably be a little bit more homespun and folksy. Like, right. it's a dark... Oh, and I get the impression Garrison that they were. Keeler from... Um, until Mazzy showed up. Yeah, and he's, like, he's like taking Garrison Ke- Keeler and, and, you know, dropping acid and, and snorting coke and then talking about Lake Wobegon, right? Uh, sure. I I saw a couple episodes of that, but okay. wasn't into it. Oh, well, I'm not talking about Northern Exposure. Me. I'm talking about uh, this Prairie, the Prairie Home Life Companion or whatever. I don't know who the fuck that is. That's NPR. Okay, yeah, don't listen to. Thought it. you listened to more NPR than he did. Nope. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So this is a guy who used to be a shock jock, and somehow mm-hmm. he's gotten. To, you know, he said the wrong thing and pissed off the FCC and got fired, and now he's trying to. You know scramble to get his career back and he's starting over at a, a low power am station in pontypool ontario right and like you know and and a lot of things he was saying like um you know mazzy he's talking to this producer and she's like you know just just read the news just talk about the lost cats and talk about the sales and you know like people are not wanting this from this hour of i don't know whether it's super early in the morning i think that's what I it is i think it's early yeah. like a way like super early morning show and he's like you don't understand i want to Audiences to get to know me and to get to pissed off because a pissed off listener is a loyal listener. And mm-hmm. like I, I kept on watching this. So I'm like, I can see myself sounding like this guy in 20 years because I started bald move with the idea of like I'm just always going to be honest on the air, right? Good, bad, or ugly. Sure. Like yeah. people can't hate me if I'm a human being with my uh, like an honest understanding of the world that's willing to change. But like that can be weaponized and cynical because the if, once you start to see like well that's something that could be success then sure yeah like you've corrupted the experiments like you now that this experimenter now knows the inputs that work and the ones that don't and it starts to get you know people start giving you feedback and like what does it even mean to be honest ten years into a career of some kind of criticism and like that's what I, I, I yeah like not only did I love the movie for what it was but it also spoke to me about like what it is to be this kind of quote-unquote personality. 
right. and how cynical I, and weird it can make you. And I think, like, that's the thing. You know, that's one of the major cruxes of, of the allegory in the movie. Like, for, you know, shock jocks or radio hosts or political commentators, whatever, um, how much responsibility do they have as far as polarizing an audience, as far as... Um, you know, implanting these ideas in their audience's head, which, I mean, they're they're paid to twenty four seven just about what they think, and like mm-hmm. that, they may not have thought an issue through. They may not. Sure. They're certainly not experts on anything other than getting a message out to right. people. Um, th- there's there's a lot of responsibility tied up in being a personality like that, which you know I'm coming to grips more with every day. Right. Um. And that's what part of the movie is questioning. Like, with that responsibility, how how do you responsibly use that power? I guess, mm-hmm. and and it becomes clear over the course of this movie that they are part that that, that they're like the big problem here is the radio host, right? Like, he he wants to weaponize it, as you said this this idea of how to make new listeners um, loyal and eventually that turns back on them and these listeners become so rabid that they start destroying everything. Mm. Well, also what happens when a guy like this, who's manufacturing emotion and outrage and, you know, over common everyday events, what happens when he's confronted with something that actually is newsworthy, that actually is frightening that like, you know, if if you're talking about everything in this kind of either cynical, detached or hyperbolic way, like what happens when zombies start taking on the town? Like what? What? Sure, you got no gear to shift into, <laughs> right? I mean, that's part of it, certainly. Um, but, but I think, like the to me, the core of this movie is this guy created this thing. I mean, he's he's the problem, um, and he's struggling with that as he goes through it. Because, like, is he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. It becomes it becomes apparent to me anyway. Like when he's talking about, oh, so this is a language thing. Oh, we're part of the problem. Oh, I'm realizing all of the things that I've been saying and the things that I've been weaponizing on the radio are the thing that's causing the problem. Like, and it won't oh, be okay. because specifically like it won't be the same thing for everyone, right? Like right. somebody will l- latch onto an idea that you give on the radio um, or, or that you, you know, you get out through public means mm-hmm. they'll latch onto that and they'll, it will essentially infect other people. And mm-hmm. it's not, it, you don't know what that thing is. Yeah. You don't even know what the cure for it is necessarily. Right. Um, and, and, and like, that, I don't know. I looked at it from a responsibility angle. More yeah, because like you know the peop- the things that people want to listen to are not the things that people need to hear and listen to. Like it, it's like that's the sure. thing. Like yeah. imagine like you take it Sometimes, take it from right. like the CNN and MSNBCs and Fox News and and you know talk radios of the world and take it down to your friend circle. Mm-hmm. Like. You know, it's funny that, like, there's always in a friend circle one person that people are particularly worried about, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, oh, man, we need to sit down and have a talk with so-and-so because stuff's getting crazy. But nobody, you know, like, nobody really wants to do that. Like, you still want to have the fun times as long as possible until you maybe you do an intervention. But most people don't. Like, I feel like that's kind of like the media and journalist responsibility is to have the collective intervention, but what sells is to cater to people's preconceived notions and beliefs and to make them outraged about stuff that they're already predisposed to be outraged about. Right. And you then got them in such a fever pitch all the time that it's like, you know, there's no more 
outrage to be had. Like, I, I've, I've often wondered, like, what would truly outrage us as Americans at this point in time? Like a, like a city uh, getting nuked? Is that the going to think? Because, like, you know, like, like for example, like 9-11 brought us together for, a, like, a year. You right, know? sure. And, like, you know, maybe that was mismanaged. Maybe we could have spun that into a little bit more understanding and, and brother brotherly harmony. Um, but that shit's gone. Like, if, like, a city got nuked. Mm-hmm. But it seems like it's everything is like it just keeps on scaling up and up and like what would get us and engage and like to sit back and be like, wow, wow, this isn't a political talking point. This is something that we actually have to wrestle with and, and have difficult conversations about uh, and not just score cheap points. Like, I, I don't know. Like, that's sure. I, and, and that's part of the problem, right? When you have all these different messages out there riling somebody up, mm-hmm. what are you what are you actually talking about anymore? Right. Like, uh, and I don't know. At some point, like, I, I'm really struggling. Like, what is the actual message of this movie? Mm-hmm. Because it appears to me that, like, obviously, obviously, these brain bugs are destructive. Right? They're causing people to go infect other people and just destroy shit mm-hmm. um, and kill people. And and these these messages that are coming out of you know let's not say this particular radio station, um, but like the radio in general, these, mm-hmm. these types of things uh, are, are destructive. And then by the end, like you have to, at the end, it see, almost seems like there's another message, which is the repetition of these, these outrage buttons, like pressing this outrage button over and over again, eventually mm-hmm. causes it to lose all meaning. Like you said, like you were saying, but there's also like a David Simon esque message or like shit's fucked up, yo, but we can help each other. Like we can't rely on like, you know, the journalists and media and politicians and community leaders. We have to lead us out of this. But like because at the end, they all kind of figured it out in the sound booth and there's three survivors left. One of them decided to use this information to try to do a last ditch effort to save the two that were, you know, with him. Like he did a self-sacrificing and is, is that mm-hmm. kind of like David Simon, like Baltimore is never going to get healed from the top down, but you as a neighbor could reach your hand out and help, you know, hmm. you could help yeah. in, in influence a youth's life. You could, you could, uh, you know, give your family member one last chance to kick heroin. You could, you know, get involved in a school and volunteer. Like there's, there's things we can do at a micro level that a macro level, it's like super fucked. And I wonder if that's the message. I don't know. I think part of the reason why this movie is confusing is because it sort of falls apart at the end, uh, allegory-wise. Does it? Because they, they, te- they have to finish the story they're telling. Right. It feels like it's there. There are mixed messages to me, anyway. And I, like, and I can't tease out what exactly it's trying to say. Like the pure form of your message movie would end with the station flooded with zombies and they're just huddling in the dark sound booth and it like fades to black and credits, right? Something like that, yeah. Because that's like a pure like shit be fucked, yo. Right. If if you try to answer and solve it and give some kind of happy ending, it, uh, you know, and they don't, they kind of do it and then they flip flop with the, uh, uh, I don't know, but there's. And and there's a mixed message of like this language is infecting people, but only a certain language. It's only English, like right. And, I, not, and I don't know if there's some sort of xenophobic. Uh, well, see, that's what I was. Cause cause I, I know there is a lot of tension in Canada between you know the Quebec province that wants to maintain their French heritage and the French language, and like right. you know they would do things that I would call like you know if 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 we had a person's pushing that for only English English signage. 
in public places and stuff. Right, I would say racist. that's racist, xenophobic. Yeah, yeah. Quebec. That's like that's literally how they roll, man. Like they 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 are right. actively trying to do stuff like that all the time to protect their, I guess, minority culture. But like, there's definitely terms of like, is this some kind of thing that the French Canadian portion of the government has developed to infect the English speaking ones as a as a as a as a war? Oh, I. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not. There was a, but I, I don't know enough about the situation right, not, either. But I definitely got that flavor just from watching the movie. What little I did know. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not even trying to like dig into the quote unquote science of this at the moment. What I'm, what I'm wondering is, so I don't know enough about the radio landscape up there in Canada to really mm-hmm. say whether or not they have these sorts of of people and this sort of like, uh, you know, instigating culture of radio. Um, mm-hmm. Like we do, like with uh, Glenn Beck, or have the, to right, of Rush Limbaugh or something. I I don't know. Like that's the thing. I just don't know. And so so for me, like I could see this being a thing where they look at American radio and they say, "This is all bad. You guys are just riling each other up to no end, and it's it's all going bad there." And yeah. you know, tracing English back to the root cause of that, and like. It feels like there could be some kind of xenophobic message in there, but I don't, I don't know. I don't understand Canada well enough to right. say for sure. And I mean, it, it probably it's. I mean, I just assumed that it, it, that kind of stuff, the toxicity, is worse in America. Except for I know that, like, you know, there's some countries where like the you know rule of law so broken that you just have like, you, well, if you watch like the latest edition of uh, Bill Maher show. I'm not even a particular big fan of Bill Maher, mm-hmm. but he had this segment about like, you know, it's important to maintain a certain amount of civility and political discourse because if you don't, he showed just clips of like all these different political bodies around the world in, in like the Philippines and Singapore and Latin America and Eastern Europe of like literal fist fights. Yeah. And assault and battery happening on the floors. And it's like, you know, if you don't, if you continue to double down on us against them, you eventually have. And, you know, we've had the experiences of that in this country. I mean, we came from a culture where, uh, you know, one presidential hopeful called, uh, you know, what was uh, the treasurer of the United States out in a duel and killed him in the streets. We've had a civil war. Like, we've had things like that before. Do we want to go there again? So I imagine, like, I assume that we're the worst. I know we're the not, but, like, you know, in, in Western countries, I just assume, like, well, our political discourse is probably superheated because that's the thing. Like, journalism, sometime in the last generation or two, they found out, like, how to maximize the monetary value of that. Mm-hmm. And that's when things started to go to hell in a handbasket. And since we're kind of at the forefront for that kind of thing, that, right, you know. And this movie, you know, picks on radio yeah. in particular, but it's not just limited to that. Certainly. Sure. Um, sure. This television radio is. just super works for this particular story. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we're kind of getting all caught up in the allegory of it, but like, mm-hmm. I feel like we're selling short the effectiveness of the movie. Like there's a couple points of the movie where kind of were mind blowing or shocking. One of my favorite is when the, uh, the woman who's recent vet from Afghanistan was translating this French message. And then you get to the, you know, it's this essentially kind of like proto warning about this virus. And uh-huh. then you get to the end and it says, do not translate this message. And she's saying it as she's, and it's like, right. He's reading it out on the radio. Like, yeah. Right. And I'm like, well, first of all, 
you, you French Canadians, like fucking put the do not translate up top. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't bury the fucking lead, man. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, like that was like a really oh shit moment. And then the shocking thing, like when she started bashing her head against the window, which I've seen like in sure, several yeah. different movies before, but like it kept getting more and more shocking. Like, and then she came back and her lips had been chewed off and she's smearing her bloody face. All- she was eating equipment or something. I yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and there's lots of this this question of like, well, they're in a soundproof booth, but did someone leave equipment on that she's still homing in on? Like, what the hell is going on? I thought the descriptions of the violence outside were super effective. So, like, I, it was creeping me out once, just hearing this Ken guy talk about in, the things in, going in on. In Sunny Chopper sixteen or whatever, right, like Dodge Dart. <laughs> yeah, you know, why don't we have more World of War? I think. And some of this movie's got to be a little bit of a react. I, I guess it's not because it happened before. Maybe Nightville, Return to Nightville, is a Welcome reaction. To to, Welcome to Nightville is a reaction to that. But like, why don't we have more of that stuff? Because I find this stuff, even when I know it's fake, it's super compelling. Yeah, like that uh, kind of like you know, even the guy, the Hindenburg, like just make up fictional versions of someone narrating some mass hysteria. And it's low budget and. It's it's like you can really go creepy and do stuff with the atmosphere and what people are thinking and like yeah I mean there are there are a bit of a lost art hundreds of these things out on the internet I mean there are Star Trek ones or Star Wars ones so I just need to get more zombie in, ones so, so you're saying that market exists I just need to be in, it, introduced to it yeah I think it does there there are a lot of radio dramas um, especially now in the day of podcasting a lot of people have done that like one that I listened to and really enjoyed was We're Alive yep. Which sure. is, you know, right up your alley if you're into this movie because it's zombie-based. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd, I'd recommend checking that one out to start. But there are a bunch out there. Hmm. Um, and, and it was interesting to me I've because, like... I've tried to get like, Nightville, like, ten different times. It's much like I, I've tried... I tried once and didn't didn't stick with it. Yeah, it's like, it's one of those things where you have to have... Uh, I would try to background listen to it, which is exactly the wrong thing to do. But, but also, it's a, also a very slow it's burn. It's so yeah. slow burn that you have to kind of set out, like, I'm going to... It's You gotta watch it like you watch The Wire, and I I'm just... I'm gonna listen to 20 of these. Yes. Like, because the first one is all just, like, updates on a, on a town that you don't yes. give a shit about, and yep. nothing is interesting. Yep. It's and all it, weather reports, and it's you, just getting you used to who these people are. Yep. Which and is, I tuned out. It's probably gonna be super cool when you find when shit right. finally starts break that bad but like every time i subscribe to it i'm like this is going to be the time i get into it and then i'm <laughs> you know i mean i'm like a couple episodes in and realize that i don't understand anything that's going on because and, and i haven't been listening giving it my full attention right and so i i appreciate the long form that there there's something inherently more interesting i think and in, mm-hmm. in that like very very slow burn but the barrier to entry is insane there because there's nothing uh, what you're going to like about Night Vale mm-hmm. is not present in that first episode at all period uh the thing the way that I've heard people describe it sure is not in there so and that's why it's also so once you get into it it's such a rabid fan base because they right. took the time yeah, like they're the Mad Men or the wire they really hook you so that stuff is deep whereas with this movie it's 90 minutes it's 90 minutes you're in you're out and it, it gives you that full experience i think like you know not quite the tip to tail here but yeah. like pretty close I-, I feel like this movie is paced almost perfectly there's like it's it's not yeah. a minute too short or too long it's exactly as long as it needs to be to i do wish what it needs to do so we've recently watched mulholland drive right right and that's a movie that's similarly confusing i suppose that you come away with a, a similar feeling but is not 
not nearly as compelling to me. Well, because it's not nearly as plot based. It's a, it's I guess more confusing uh, narratively at the end. What if it was I, about zombies though? You'd like it. <laughs> maybe. maybe. I mean, I'm being I facetious just, because right. there is a difference, but also it's super interesting that these are kind of back to back projects because there there's a hell of a lot more they have in common than they probably have to separate them. Right. So, I mean, the, like where I'm coming from, I guess, is I come away with a similarly confused feeling at the end. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not sure what I just saw exactly. But it's a happy, excited, thrilled kind of. More so with Pontypool than. That's Malone what I'm saying. Drive, yeah, for yeah. Me, That's the difference right? between. Because it's know. plot. It's plot driven. Like, I, I'm engaged on a very intellectual level throughout the entire thing. Whereas right. Mulholland Drive, I'm not. Right. And I thought um, that the guy, like, I thought Stephen McHattie does such a fantastic... There's one point in the movie where you're supposed to not understand whether he's losing his mind, whether right. he's being affected, whether you're being infected, mm-hmm. and he play and Or, like, at one point, I'm like, wait, is any of this real? Is he, having a, is he having a nervous breakdown over the loss of his career and his, his home life, which they kind of... And he's drinking like yeah. a fish on the radio, which, you know, that's the other thing, is I wish we'd never been open about our drinking especially early on in bowl i wish we just allowed people to like are they fucking sh- it's a two-hour podcast have they been drinking this whole time and they're not shit-faced in the feedback yeah. like i i like the fact that this guy is just you know drinking irish coffee the whole time and uh he does such a great job of kind of like selling like I, again is this this guy just blew me away he's carrying the film Oh yeah, like if he, I mean he's he's fantastic. If he can't sell the confusion and like yeah. the detachment and the irony and the cynicism and like the deep down something decent about him too that like mm-hmm. speaks to the like like here's this old man who kind of like is really like like the younger woman from Afghanistan. She's like fascinated by him and like mm-hmm. the the truth that he's quote unquote trying to tell. And the other the older producer is just like you know whatever he's just being. He's just being a crazy person. Right. Um, but but it's interesting it being a radio drama in the first place. Like, it was originally drafted as a radio drama. And they've recorded that with the same actors. So it's all the same voices and stuff. Oh, really? But it's a different script. It's not quite the same. Interesting. Can uh, you listen to this? On- yeah, you can go on YouTube and, and huh. check out at least the abridged version. I'm not sure about an extended interesting. cut. But, yeah, it's out there. Uh, so it had me wondering, like... You know, you, you go back to ideas like War of the Worlds, where the public was so confused by this radio drama that they started to take it seriously. And right. I wonder if this wasn't going to be a tale of the reverse, where, like, the public was playing some sure. some trick on this radio producer and this, this yeah. shock jock. Uh, and, and I started to wonder, like, is this real? And and. Uh-huh. And there's a point in the movie where I almost felt like it, it broke for me. I can't wait. Like, yeah, I can't wait to because there's a couple things where I feel like they might have cheated that I can't wait to watch this again because there's a point in the movie where I'm pretty sure events and conversations happen. Yeah, that then are directly contradicted. There, there's a moment where he thinks he's lost it. Right. Yeah. He's like halfway crying in the booth, and Sydney comes in and she's talking about Honey the cat, and he's like. Is this what? What are you talking about? And I, I was the same way. Me like, too. Are, yeah. Wait, has he just fat? Like the last thirty minutes happened in his mind, and, she, right. and like none of this is really happening. And 
And why is she wanting to run with Honey to Cat but when then, you got... But then it gradually comes back to these people are eating others, and everybody buys so back into it. But gradual. I almost feel like they cheated, because that happened after, like, right. the, C- the, the BBC called from a comment, and I'm like, I don't care how fucking small your radio station and homespun a producer you are, you're not going to come back from that with Honey the fucking cat. Right, and here's the other thing. What's with the German U-boat and the bombings of the studio? And is yeah. that actually happening? I think I think that's was he infected at some point? Were they both infected at the end and they cured each other? Because that's that would explain it if if <laughs> right. you're you're living inside of a mind of a of, of a mind who's slowly turning into a zombie and it doesn't realize it. And is he somehow like being? inoculated by the fact that he has the ability to get a message out there to a broad audience and and how did the doctor who i think unambiguously was turned into a zombie cure himself by speaking in his native tongue right like was was he like summoning all this willpower to only think and was it arminian i'm not sure what language i mean maybe it's like you know a certain percentage of the population is immune to any disease Uh so like maybe it's equivalent to that but he Where started guy... like he he started to turn and then yeah. he's like through some kind of willpower just started only thinking and speaking in his native tongue and was able to stave off the end and and, and maybe that's why he sacrificed himself too that he he knew that he couldn't go on like this or is that indicative of him being someone who recognizes this talk radio bullshit for what it is mm. and is able to get beyond it why um, do you think and the save fr- others through his message like so at the end, when they decide to they remap the word "kill" on the kiss, and right. they she she gets infected, and then she kisses him instead of killing him, and they realize that this is, you know, that 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 the the virus takes hold when words are processed and understood, mm-hmm. and they put all this together. So then they go on the they go on the they go on the radio and broadcast word salad essentially. Yeah, uh, and the French Canadian government is like on the outside, and they're saying things like. Stop! Stop this! You're making it work. Like, was that honest? Were they on to something? And this is again the evil French Canadian government trying to take over the English speakers, or were they completely missed? Because it seemed like they had the right idea about this, right? And they got blown. Well, I guess they didn't get blown to smithereens. They somehow survived the attack, unless this end credit sequence is just a fucking death fantasy, right? I mean, that's that's the thing. Like, I this is where the confused message comes in because I feel like. At some point, the idea that if you say something enough, it becomes meaningless mm-hmm. takes over. And that you can see that's kind of the crux or the genesis of this movie's plot, right? Like, mm-hmm. I can see dudes sitting around at a bar going, you know, you could make a, an interesting movie off of this idea uh, if that was kind of the solution to a, a language virus. But, like, what is what is the force that's trying to keep them from solving this problem? Or... If you look at it not as a solution, but kind of as as an acceptance of of the meaninglessness of all of this, like you know, what is the, what is the outside force trying to say? Don't allow this to become meaningless by repeating it over and over. Huh. Like it, it, I'm I'm very torn on what the ending of this movie is trying to say. And also, there's other like if it's a language English based language, why does a kettle whistle? become part of the like call and response of the zombies why does like you're speaking i it struck me when they're speaking french and like a, some of the they had extensive like things where they're saying no and okay right like what if no or an okay became the vir- virus words then the french people are fucked you know sure unless yeah. they only say yes or you know i don't know what what other way you could say no in french french but 
I don't know. Like, again, the rules, the scientific rules are not super important. Um, but yeah, like when the movie ends, the, there's so throughout the credits, like it, it seems like there's a there's a response by the at least the French arm, the Canadian government to contain this, quarantine it and just, and bomb it like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Cloverfield style. But then throughout the credit sequence, you hear that this containment is unraveling and it's not working and it's spiraling out of control. Uh, at this point, you already think the protagonists are dead. And after the credits, it smash cuts to like I can only describe as a scene from Sin City. Mm-hmm. The look is that kind of overprocessed black and white pulp comic that they that that they did in the Sin the Sin City movies. And they're standing there looking like characters out of Sin City, having this kind of crazy out of context conversation because they're trying to speak in such a way to not infect each other. I guess. I guess. And, and then it talking go- about, but but they're clearly different characters at that point because they're or is this one- their post-apocalyptic self? Maybe I don't know. I mean, one of them, you know, the guy is a a robber, a thief. Uh, an assassin, I don't know exactly what he is, but he's clearly out to rob some location, take all their money, and she's like a geisha or something. Like, it's... And the, are the things they're talking about the things they're talking about? Because is this a Kill Bill thing? Is that what they're going for? At, at this point in the like, movie, their conversation could be something entirely unrelated to what the English meaning of their words are. I think that's what you're trying to get at. Right, right. Because she had, at, at some point at the end, isn't that how it ends? Because, again, I've only seen this movie once. Um, she starts to like slip into slightly more understandable or contextualized speech, and he like harshly cuts her off. Yeah, and the the, the scene is slowly morphing to color as well. At that point, too. Um, yeah, like so. I, I don't know what it's trying to say. I don't. Th- either. This movie is bookended by a couple of bizarre. I kind of, I kind of feel like the end scene shouldn't be there. I don't like it. That's the one. Th- but also, it's very provocative. In the Kanye it, West sense of the word, sure, it's <laughs> ever more confusing for me. I yeah, I don't like know what's making. I can't tell if scene. it's the turd on the Sunday or the cherry on top because it definitely. And I saw by accident. I was just like, I immediately started watching something, and like uh, Netflix decided not to play the next thing because this is a movie, and you know, I just let it play in this little window, and I was immediately went into research mode, and then this thing, like you know, three minutes later, hits me with this shit. Yeah. I'm like, or it might have been actually the po- like the 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 audio over the credits. I overrode the Netflix behavior because I was wanting to hear like uh. you know that. And but anyway, I got tricked into watching this post credit sequence. Whew, it's it's crazy. It's let's crazy. let's talk briefly about the opening sequence because I also think it's just as baffling. Okay, because it's talking about this Honey the Cat thing, right? It's it's him relating the experience of this woman who swerved to avoid a missing cat mm-hmm. and drove off a bridge essentially and he's doing these these conspiracy theory kind of leaps of logic where he's connecting dots on things that don't necessarily have a pattern like and it could this be... woman's name Colette is very close to the the french word for pool uh and ponte pool and is... pon- like he's he's making the leap from like panty pool to ponte pool and like uh-huh. Uh, just making a lot of connections that don't actually exist, and I feel like this has maybe like a conspiratorial bent to it. But I see, this movie. I, I, it, I didn't know what the hell was going on when I first saw it. But once I got into the movie, I recontextualized that thinking that he is making fun of how nothing happens in small town life, and has such disdain hmm. and cynicism okay. for it that he's spinning this into this 
super interesting, almost global conspiracy over this fucking cat as a way to amuse himself or prove his point about how stupid it all is. Okay, I guess you could go there. I mean, that's but, where but I went. But he's but... ultimately right in his final statement, which is something, something big is, is about, about to happen. happen. Right, right. Like, he, he talks about, you know, Norman Mailer and, like, physics realigning itself, physical objects sure. spasming and coming back together right before big events, right? Like, things are about to change. And I, I'm trying to figure out what the hell that first scene is all about um, as it relates to the rest of the movie, and I'm just not sure. Hmm. And granted, I mean, I... I haven't had a ton of time to think about this and Can feel we... like it would reward subsequent watches. Oh, yeah, definitely. And um, I'm going to do those subsequent watches. I'm going yeah. to infect this brain bug in as many people as I possibly can uh, through the vector of this podcast. But uh, what can we talk about the brown-faced? Uh, Lawrence and the Arabians. What the hell so... does that? That's just a That's just a bit of surreal... I mean, it, it, it connected to me because I told this story on a lunch with Jim and Aaron about a year ago, around this time, that my son had a, uh, the science fair type project where all these kids in the accelerated STEM program were assigned inventors or doctors, scientists, and they were supposed to research, dress like them, do this like bulletin board and like kind of have like a, you know, right. they called it a living museum. So you, yeah. you go up to them and you literally pantomime pushing a button and they're supposed to be like a living wax statue to recreate the experience. Yeah. And we got to like Washington Carver and there's this little blonde girl in blackface. Right. And this is, and so I got to explain, this is in Bethel, Ohio, this really small town way outside of Cincinnati. There is, I think I looked on the, 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 the I, I found this information on like greatschools.com. There's a, a, allegedly one black kid, literally token black from South Park is, is living that. Right. And I'm like, cause I was like offended just like, Oh my God, I can't believe it's 2015. And I'm watching a little blonde girl give a blackface performance and, and, and no one is batting an eye at it. And I'm like, is this a case where, you know, if you do something inadvertently racist in a forest and there's no minorities there to offend, did it actually happen at all? But like, I, 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 I don't. I wanted to see it through that lens. Like, well, it's, this is not necessarily malicious. It's just fucking ignorant. But the longer it went on, it just seemed like it was just super offensive and and, and like in your face about it. Right. And. It's, You're now talking about the Lawrence and the Arabians? No, I'm talking thing? about the little blonde girl. I think she oh. was a fucking race, okay. racial well, arsonist. No, no, but okay. the, the, the Lawrence and the Arabians. Like, I'm sitting there watching it, and I'm like, this is no, this is like intentionally, everyone should know this is offensive. What is it doing on this particular radio station if they're supposed to be so middle of the road and, and on a, like, what the fuck? I don't know. What the fuck? What is that scene supposed to, was it just supposed to add to un, the unhinged reality that this guy's experiencing? I, I mean, my... So I, I I have a lot of questions about this scene. My my notes, I roughly track exactly with you and this little blonde girl doing blackface. I'm like, uh, my notes say Lawrence and the Arabians. Is that the guy from Dawn of the Dead in brownface? Oh, it is. Oh, God, they're all in brownface. Fucking Christ. Not all of them were, though. Some yeah, of them, no, the little kids, like... I thought the one, the oldest guy with the turban was not in, I mean... No, he's in brownface. Is he? Oh, yeah. They're That's all in brownface? Yeah. Holy That's shit. The, okay. Uh, and then, I stroked out at this part of the movie. This yeah, was, I stroked out when she started saying pra over and over again. I was like, what? Well, that's what? the point, right? That was like a sudden that's that's the second stage of the infection. Yeah, she's getting infected, certainly. Um, right. But like, I, I wonder, 
if there's supposed to be any kind of commentary on the the nature of the word terrorism in America or in this region of the world. Like, I that's don't the know. only place I can go to here because otherwise I mean I'm sure there was there's intent. I know there's intent. Like every scene in this movie has some kind of intent, but I Or yeah. I mean the, like how how the radio talks about Muslims for instance, right? Especially here in America and and how they were contextualized right after 9/11. Mm-hmm. I think I think there's a lot of stuff wrapped up in in that where this guy puts this ridiculous portrayal of these people on the radio. Mm-hmm. And that's the message that people out there are getting. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the brain bug for them where they're now they're not taking the very racist, very xenophobic view that this radio jock has given them mm-hmm. of these people. And that's just all they're going on. Right. And I, I I don't know. I don't know. To me, it felt like this scene was pointlessly uh, or sorry, not pointlessly. The exact opposite was pointedly. um trying to to say that what what we think about these these people is not necessarily true and that the radio is purveying this message of well hate. and also the fact that you because li- like you know um in reality if you're talking about senseless acts of violence in this country mm-hmm. you're way more likely to be shot by some young angry white guy that for whatever reason has decided that he wants to columbine it up or go into a theater full of Batman fans or go to a a female film festival or climb a fucking tower and just fucking start blasting people than you are to be, you know, killed by some dynamite stick-wielding Muslim, right? Sure. Yet everyone, like, no one, like, you know, we're surrounded by dudes walking around that fit the description of these other killers, and yet, right. you know, you see someone dressed a little differently or darker complexion, and that's the person you're, you're, you're eyeballing on the, on the plane. Um, sure. I, that's the kind of, like, Which is partially weird, natural, surreal reality. But yeah. It's, it's partially a, just a tribalism thing that humans do, but it's also propped up by this culture that we have in mm-hmm. talk shows. Well, and it's also, it's like, you know, there's, there, who's to say otherwise when you have like, you know, I'm thinking of like going back to that, the girl in, in that school, my son's school is in blackface. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say there is a couple black families and they're at that event. Um, I think it'd be a particularly courageous thing for them to do to actually say like, this is fucked up. Like you could have an angry reaction to these. You could have like, but I think the the majority when you're faced with this, like, you know, cultural monolith. And I, I, I try to inject my own experience. Like, you know, when I was, uh, uh, you, you're not celebrating Christmas and birthdays. And then like everybody at work or at school was super into Christmas and birthdays at the time. And I would just sit there in the corner and be like, Oh fuck, please don't ask me about Christmas. Please don't ask me about, I don't, right. I don't want to be outed. I don't want to cause problems. I don't want to bum everybody out. And I feel like that, like it's shocking and offensive and sad. But if I, I, I feel like that the majority of the black people to be confronted that situation would probably just kind of keep their heads down and like, man, like this is kind of benign, you know, uh, thoughtless, ignorant racism. Do I want to turn this into active fucking malignant racism by making a stink about it? Like, and and I guess is is was that because this guy's from a big city, right? He's a shock jock, and he's looking at this, and I think that stuff's going through his head. Like, it's borderline offensive that I'm putting you guys on the air. And I'm sitting on right. the zombie story. Yeah. And now you're opening your mouth, and this is happening. Sure. Like, 
Uh, Let me ask you something that might confuse the issue, and okay. I don't want to get no. Why not? Too why not? into the politics Let's... of race here, but it the door has been kind of kicked open by this movie a little. Okay, um, there's it's at least cracked open. Uh, everybody gets up in arms about the whitewashing of of different cultural movies, right? Like, you know, the latest is Scarlett Johansson playing an Asian person in a film that should clearly be cast with an Asian actor. Or like we talked about Kubo and the Two Strings. That's a fucking top-to-bottom Japanese right. myth culture movie that's led by super white Americans and South Africans. And I, I think that's a fair criticism. I mean, if, yeah. you know, if you're... I, if you can hire actors that are Asian. But it's also completely people's knee-jerk reaction is what the fuck are you guys like what what's the big deal? Like I don't get it. Like that's also a natural human reaction to have to that story. Sure. Now but let me back to your point. Now let me drill down to this elementary school. Mm-hmm. Uh they they want to portray historical figures, right? Mm-hmm. I guess my question here would be given the unavailability Right. Of black people in that school. Mm -hmm. Is it better to just ignore Washington Carver altogether? Uh, Or to give these people the impression that everyone from history is white? Well, I think the the real... Or to have this girl... Portray so, blackface in order to signify that this person. Well, was, like there's in fact, another blonde black. girl that was assigned Ben Carson because, aside from being okay. a Republican nominee for president uh-huh. that has questionable beliefs about the Earth's history and all that, he's also a very gifted surgeon who's pioneered many, many life saving techniques and saved shitloads of lives. And if you just look at him sure. from a STEM perspective, He's wrong about a lot of stuff, but like if I something was wrong with my heart and isn't he a specific? No, he's a he's a neurosurgeon. Hmm, So if I had like a fucking brain tumor, I might want Ben Carson, who I would not trust with my economic policy or scientific policy. I might want my life in his hands. Right. She was this little blonde girl in surgical scrubs. No blackface, mm-hmm. no afro, just talking about his life and like as as if he was a person and not so, the race. So I guess my suggestion would be for that little blonde girl to wear period of period, uh, um, appropriate garb and be George Washington Carver and not have to feel like that the essential thing about George Washington Carver was that he was black. He was a, a, well, a it's, person in history, and this is the story uh, of his personage. I'm largely playing devil's advocate here. I, I, I don't know the right answer here, and I think it's tricky. And um, I understand why the family made the decision they did. I don't well, think they were being malicious or dickheads about it. They they were sure. thinking let that me, exact line of like, well, Let me know. say this, though. The people who are in fucking bumfuck Kentucky or Ohio or whatever... Right are now not realizing that this man was black. And then, in fact, black people have done important things throughout history. They see all of their historical figures as white dudes. Mm-hmm. Is that is that a good or bad? That seems like a bad thing. Well, I mean, like... To, the, to have this image of only is, white people do awesome things. Yeah, and in the context is they're standing in front of a bill of, like, this, like, you know, uh, project board that has pictures of the real person and all that kind of stuff. So, But I agree. Like, you, you see this in cosplaying all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, and, and let me you know it's, it's 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 like if you run around as like Black Spider Man, no one bats an eye. But if I would, and I and I, I understand. Look, I'm not I'm not stumping for this. I understand the problems with it. But if I wanted to be like White Blade. If, and I, I wanted to be, I, I, I don't know, because like, like I've, I've never seen a black guy go around as Black Spider Man whitewashed. Like in white makeup, and it would be bizarre for okay. me to see that. 
But I have seen a lot of people like, oh, I'm going to be Blade and I'm going to go. I haven't seen a lot, but I've seen a handful of examples of people like for Halloween purposes. I'm going to like darken my skin so I can better pay homage to this character. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, this is all like I don't think in a world where in a world where for a long time white people were putting on blackface to mock at at worst at, 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 to, sure. to take the jobs of other African Americans who could portray their own people at best and at worst to mock their culture. Like I don't know if we lived in that world that that never happened. That you know, like it would probably be perfectly acceptable to make your skin look darker in complexion to look like another race to pay homage to that. But for many many years, like you had right. like malicious stuff where people were just like fucking shucking and jiving and. And and doing offensive shit, and then uh, you know you had guys like Alec Guinness and Brownface playing Arabians and Lawrence of Arabia. Like most of those casts were English speaking, and they were in Brownface. Like and even down to like what, what, like what Kumail Nanjiani was talking about. Uh, I think the the uh, the Indian guy from Short Circuit. Okay, you know like oh Johnny number yeah, five, yeah. you can't. Super white. He was just in brown face. Like that happened in the eighties, man. Like right. that that took a job away from a legit Indian or Pakistani yeah, yeah, actor. Yeah. And that that's why, like, <laughs> I, my my big caveat on this whole like proposed scenario here is there are plenty of available and talented uh, black Asian uh, Indian whatever. Like yeah. Indians offensive uh, Native American. Sure, Indian, actual Indian, like from India. Yeah, yeah. Plenty of those people available and talented Mm -hmm. and willing to do the jobs in this elementary school in the middle of fucking nowhere. You run the risk of having these people think that everybody important in history is white. Yeah, I know, but it's all you don't signify it somehow. It's all the historical thing. I'm not saying it's Imagine we lived in a world where, like, we didn't have a, a, a racially charged atmosphere of slavery with African Americans, right? Like I could in that world where we never enslaved like the the black culture in this country, I could be at work and uh, talk to my black friend and be like, "Man, they're working as like slave drivers," and right. it would just be a casual comment. Like I could say that to a bunch of my white friends, but it's a different thing. Like it would it would it would sound funny because I'm saying a black man because history is the way history is, and mm-hmm. you can't change it. So like a lot of you know, a lot of this, what people call PC, is just trying to be sensitive, sensitive to other people's experience and the historical context in which acts uh, happen and not perpetuate. You know, like, let that shit, like, you know, 500,000 years from now, maybe we're all cool and we can laugh about it. Yeah. But right now, you don't have to go very far back in people's family trees when they were owned as property. Right, sure. And then not even further back when their jobs and livelihoods are being stolen by white folk making big bank on making fun of their culture. And then not very, you know, not even a generation where they were just stealing jobs that could have been ably, you know, like, hey, we want an Indian guy. And he's also going to pref- he's going to be a super racist stereotype of his race. I know. Let's hire a white guy. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. And I, I, there's some kind of commentary here about it. And I'm not sure exactly what it is in this movie. Um, I, and I'm trying to decipher whether or not there's some kind of divide between real radio and and perceived you know, uh, like shock jock type radio here because like, you know, you got the BBC guy calling in the affiliate for Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, he knew more about the situation than the guy on the scene did, which I thought was fascinating too. Yeah. And he's also like, 
at the end of the call, they're like, oh, he's a professional. Look at that guy. He's yeah. just, he's doing the, the radio job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, he's a TV commentator. But he was also ma- manufacturing facts. Right. I he mean, was he was acting like he got better confirmed. than, yes. He was doing the same thing that Mazzy's doing here. But less responsibly and more marketably. <laughs> right. But but then there's also this idea that Mazzy got fired from, quote unquote, real radio uh, for being too edgy. Yeah. Is that something that happens in real radio? That doesn't feel right to me. It feels like the more edgy you are and the more polarizing and No, uh, there's certainly people who've gone over the edge. Like, I can't remember the guy's name, but the guy who was looking at pictures of the, was it the... Was it the Duke women's basketball team and said, oh, man, we got some real nappy-headed hoes here. And, like, the world fell on. Like, this is an old guy who was not thinking. I mean, I don't think that he was racist. I don't know. You say something like that. And, like, there's the difference between active intentional racism and, like, subconscious racism and cultural. Like, you just grew up in this milieu and, like, you know, like – you know, like my grandfather, grandmother calling people Negro, like that was the polite term in their day, and like now it's like it's it's hard to talk about like racism as a monolithic block of 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 all one intent and all way of speaking, and you know, but I know it's happened to people where like they step into this cultural landmine and sure. it's blown up. I, I saw yeah. like a there's an ESPN guy uh, where he was talking about Jeremy Lin. Who was one of the very first like Chinese American like people that were getting like the superstar buzz? Yeah, I did Yao Ming and him, mm-hmm. and he was talking about like you know he's a really good player, but there's definitely some chinks in his armor, right? And he's and just he, using a term phrase. He was using. He was right. not thinking yeah, like, oh, this is I'm gonna really fuck him over. And again, like I think that guy is completely. It's like the same guy who got like lambasted for saying the word niggardly about being stingy, right? Like right. sometimes the world falls on your, and and that's like I guess. That's the PC culture where it's truly run amok, where, like, we won't even give people that have, like, super... But, but in this movie, it's I don't get the impression that it was one of those scenarios. I get the impression he was fired for being too... Uh, for, for being too controversial. Hmm. It just depends on what... It's just... just I don't know. I could, I could definitely, like... And now he's in the middle of nowhere like, taking advantage of rubes, essentially. Like... I guess... Who haven't seen this kind of stuff yet. I can definitely see a person, like, what if he decided to play devil's advocate for pedophiles? <laughs> you know? Or, uh, you know, like, Bill Maher got fired from ABC. He had this politically incorrect joke when he said, you know, people are always saying about these 9-11 attackers as they're cowards. Bravery was not their problem. Like, they had an abundance of bravery and courage and conviction in their ideals. Uh-huh. That's a non-controversial, completely true statement. Okay. Okay, which here I get fired from Bald Moon. Right. In my yeah. worldviews, like, that seems accurate. Like, those guys, like, uh, you know, and I get they have this afterlife belief, so it's not like, like the, in their view, they weren't really dying and they're going to someplace better. But still, that is a level of, like, physical f- courage to take your life and, and plow it. Like, you know, again, it's horrific. I don't support it. I think it's terrible. But I wouldn't call them cowards. I understand okay. why we like to speak in that way. Like, this is a cowardly attack and, and, and saying sure, that. I mean, well, okay. You know, like, terrorist attacks are fundamentally cowardly. But, you know, like, it, it, so, so someone... In you know, 15 years ago, tries to interject a little bit of uh, nuance into discussion, and we weren't ready to hear it. And he got fired for being too controversial. So I could see a, guy, a world where this Mazzy type character would do something like that. 
Like he's talking like, you know, what if he gets a little too flip about talking about a school shoot shooting, you know? Right. But I, like, I'm trying to figure out what the movie is trying to say about that. And it's, it's oh. just not coming to me. Like I, I don't, I don't what necessarily he... care about the meta okay, in the okay, real okay. world. I'm trying to figure out what the movie is saying. Okay. That's a bet. Yeah, you're right. I got nothing for you on that. Okay. <laughs> uh, Fair. He's, you know, it, or it feels like there's almost some kind of classist message here, where you know the 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 people in real radio have wisened up and they're they're not they're not equipped to listen to your bullshit anymore. And hmm. now you need to go purvey that on people who've never heard it, people who are a little you know in this tiny ass town who don't know any better. So you know the way I guess I, if uh, now that I'm recontextualizing this um the way I see it is this is a guy you know I think of a shock jock he probably got his career going in his mid 20s mm-hmm. and he's just shooting from the hip and he's and everybody's loving it and now he's like in his 60s and like he's gone from controversial to like ignorant and reactionary right and like the shit that he said that was getting super play 30 years ago is now toxic and he's done he's he's stepped into one of those landmines where he thought it was like he was just speaking the truth and now the truth is vile and offensive in a way that's not edgy and socially acceptable it's too far outside of me so i i, I guess right, yeah and now he's chasing and he's licking his wounds down here and i i guess i i didn't see it as like a commentary on on pop culture more than just like a character trait, hmm. you know, like okay. him wearing a cowboy hat, um, which I think the guy, the guy that made the unfortunate nappy headed hoax is that was something that he affected too. Hmm. And if this movie was made 10 years ago, that was kind of contemporary of that event. Maybe they were trying to make a, you know, like this out of touch shock jock, which because I can't even remember that fucking guy's name. That's how influential he was in American culture. Right. Um, but he was an aging shock jock that just casually said something that old racist dudes say, or not not even old racist dudes, old dudes, <laughs> right? Say, and mm-hmm. he got destroyed for it. So maybe that's just that's that's all there is to it. Well, maybe all old dudes are racist. It's like, you know, what did the, the young woman was an Afghani vet. Did that mean anything? Or is that just a character trait that helps us kind of get a glimpse into her character? Yeah, and I mean, that's kind of like one of the things I was doing during this movie is taking feverishly taking notes early on, especially when in this first scene where it's just the waveform. Mm-hmm. He's talking about this honey the cat thing. And I'm like, oh, there's this 57 deaths and... Uh, or, or she, this lady was survived by fifty-seven grandchildren. Which a, holy shit! Oh, when you got to have at the, least eight kids with eight kids each. When they went through the middle of the movie where they talked about the obit, <laughs> he's reading the obituary and it was uh-huh. all this like that is again like I I don't know that that's totally real. What do you mean? Because well, he's talking about like so and so. Oh, that it's actually happening in the movie. Yeah, like the, in this small town, like yeah. is he giving? I think he's giving the rundown of the dead zombies. But yeah. how would he know that information in real time? Is that happen? Like some Not some sure. small part of this film is a paranoid dream in his mind. Right. And I'm not sure how much of it is. I think it's I think it's just a, a point where... it's very brief. Like, surprisingly brief. But, yes. And he yeah. snaps back to reality, and the, the movie slowly starts to come back and converge back to real timeline. But, yeah, like... I, and I think it's, like, his mental break started with the Lawrence of Arabians. Uh, and then yeah. ended ended with him needing to go outside and going outside. And then, like, the, 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 but th- that stretch of the movie is crazy town. Yeah, I could be wrong. I can't wait to watch it again with that kind of understanding to see, like, that's my hypothesis. Now let's test it. But that's kind of what I'm going on. Okay. 
Uh, I have a lot of other just like random. Hit me, man, because I also got some things. stuff from Josh that I thought was interesting too that he cemented. Like when we're talking about, uh, you know, it gradually became clear that this was kind of a zombie sort of thing. I didn't know what was happening at first, but like, you know, you get the description from Ken where people are exploding out of this office and you're like, mm. what the hell? Yeah. Uh, what's going on in that office? And eventually it becomes clear, oh, they're eating people and all the stuff. It's zombies and like. Ken's like, I've seen things that are going to ruin the rest of my natural life. You and me both. Yeah. You and me both. Now, I haven't seen anybody chew their arms off or anything, uh-huh. but oh boy. Do you do you think that um, going along with that, I thought that they made a surprising amount of effective use of like suspense and drama. Like the fact like when yeah. you weren't seeing it, but you hear Ken like make the decision to, or maybe it's someone else to approach this guy who was laying on the ground mumbling to himself. And, like, you know, Mazzy's like, I wouldn't do that. I think that's a bad idea. You should not approach this guy. And, like, it's mm-hmm. just like, and then you hear that slow kind of baby crying noise. And you yeah. realize it's like, there's a lot of really, uh, I mean, I wasn't that terrified at any point, but I definitely was tense. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of tension. Um, yeah, I would say I got slightly creeped out. Creep, um, yeah, it's creepy. The... Not in the, like, it's hardcore horror, the conjuring way, but like an unsettled, right. like, oh, wow. Uh, I, re- I I don't know why I care about this kin so much, but I do. Like I'm 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 holding my breath to see if he's going to be okay. When they were locked up uh, in that sound booth with the zombie trying to to hunt them, I thought that was super effective. And yeah. They're like you know writing messages to each other and like to, you know it's always a ballsy move when you've got uh, characters carrying on a conversation and writing for a five minute scene. Uh-huh. Because there's already an automatic tension of like you know they're writing and they're not showing you what you're writing, so you're like you're in the situation with them, like how frustrating that is. I thought that was super cool. <laughs> yep. Uh, there's also some pretty good comedy at points. Like, Oh, yeah. oh my God. The, <laughs> the description that Mendez gives when Laurel Ann just vomits blood all over the booth. He's like, my God, that was impressive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, man, that's not, you shouldn't be saying that to these people. Oh, oh, and similarly monstrous and also denies comprehension. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, the, there was a lot of, Realizing like, this girl was a friend. <laughs> taking that tension that they've effectively built and then pivoting it into f- humor. Uh-huh, super, yeah. Uh, super effective. Uh, and, you know, they, when you... I guess when you go... When you go full brown face, you get stomped to death. That's mm-hmm. the moral of this of this story. Yeah. Cause man, they really go at that girl viciously. Right. And that's also, it's simultaneously like funny and horrifying and also confusing because they do this cut where he ducks down to start beating this girl and mm-hmm. he just disappears or, or he, he cuts like he disappears. It shows Mazzy in the morning while you hear the sounds of beating. Mm-hmm. And then they both kind of stand up into the frame again. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very disorienting and almost like you're losing a bit of time there while, you're beating this little girl to death. I definitely felt like there's a couple of mental breaks where there might have been 15 minutes of unexplained gaps in footage and stuff. But it's yeah. also hilarious when he tosses this girl against the wall, just like full on, right? Throws her into this wall. I cracked up, like, right? Uh, I don't know. It's it, it, this movie's really good. It's it's confusing, and it's kind of defies your expectations, but I think it's good in that regard. 
Yeah, I want to because this. So we've had our own interpretations. Maybe we should. I, I don't know how to effectively because like this thing that Josh sent me was kind of like a conversation that we're having with him, but it's completely one sided and disconnected. Like he's there's no way for us to like. It, it, ideally, you'd bring him on for an interview, which we haven't figured out how exactly to do with our process yet. But I want right. to get to some of his thoughts. He says, um, "Just as Josh Black again, the commissioner of the podcast." Director Bruce McDonald calls the infected conversationalist rather than zombies and describes the stage of the virus like this. Uh, the first, There's three stages. The first stage, you might begin to repeat a word and something gets stuck. Usually it's words that are terms of endearment like sweetheart or honey. I forgot about that little bugaboo. Like That was right. definitely in the French-Canadian warning like to avoid terms of endearment, mm-hmm. the movie. Uh, then the second stage is your language becomes scrambled. You can't express yourself properly. The third stage, you become so distraught at your condition. The only way out of the situation you feel as an infected person is to try and chew your way through the mouth of another person. Um, this like this Hmm. compulsion, uh, Josh continues. This is his thoughts in much the same way. Watching this movie is like getting the virus. At first I was confused. I spent days thinking about it, repeating it in my head getting it stuck after a dozen or so viewings i've moved on to my language becoming scrambled unable to express my thoughts about it in a coherent manner i can only assume that another decade after having watched another dozen times i will turn into a ravenous murderous cannibal uh the first half of this movie really strongly conveys the chaos of covering a news story as it unfolds and really seems like the movie could be a metaphor for journalistic integrity a uh, reddit user kicks butts on has this to say about the subject the pathogen and events unfolding the plot are an analogy for a lack of journalistic integrity in the media. This is why the radio host is an ex-shock jock from a big city. This is why we see him exaggerating the news as he sees fit. It's also why mm-hmm. him see him try to dodge local issues for the sake of more exciting news, even though he was a local radio host. Later on, we hear the pathogen begin to spread like wildfire throughout the crowd. It's important to note that we hear it, but we don't see it. The director is using the same fear tactics against the audience that you might hear on a news radio station trying to excite a panic. The pathogen is panic and it spreads by a spoken word. It incites paranoia and fear in anyone that hears it. Eventually we see the radio host try to take back the words by speaking to the audience in a calming tone, but it's too late. The panic is out. The moral of the story is that as a member of the media, you have the duty to stay honest and confirm your stories before speaking them in the public or else you incite a fear induced panic across the nation and it cannot be stopped once it's out. Now, I so I found it a lot less black and white than that. Yeah, me too. Because if you've got a live, yeah, you want to confirm something, but something like this, I don't know how you responsibly cover an instance like breaking the, events, like, like like the Boston Marathon bombing. Perfect example right. that led to a lot of witch hunting and false leads, but you know the public has a right and need to know about these dangerous situations as they unfold, and sometimes men on men and women on the street. Uh, they might not be telling the whole truth. They might be trying to make things worse. But what is your responsibility as a journalist to confirm, deny, or get this on the air? Like, I don't know, because the convicts is that you can just take get taken for rides so easily. Right. I mean... Like, journalist th- ethics was, 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 was forged in the days of the newspaper print. Mm-hmm. And the news cycle being a long-term, like, stuff relayed through cable. Like, that's... How does journalistic integrity work in this era of always on? Well, I mean, journalism uh, is separate, I guess, from commentary on the events, because like journalism 
used to mean reporting on events. Now it means reporting and giving, like telling people what they should think about it. Giving analysis, of. yeah. Right. The analysis is, I think, where you get into trouble. Or not even, not even You're that. instructing people what to think about this. It seems like what they're wanting to do is get both sides to every issue and get all perspectives on it, regardless. Like, I, I guess I feel like journalism is, at the end of the day, trying to correctly categorize and journalize what, you know, it's, it's journalizing. It's, it's writing down things that are true. Right. But it's not that anymore. No. It's, it's allowing it's become... both sides of an issue to have equal say and not, not you know, allow them to have their opinions and interpretations and own facts in some case, which is bizarre to me. Yeah, in some ways feels like a fool's errand, too, because it's impossible to present both of them with the same fairness, I guess, on both sides. And and, and how can you apply, like, journalism standards to something like a long-form article where you're writing about something that's been long-term and, like, it's well, you know, there's there's lots of facts on the ground and you're now trying to make sense of it after the fact versus reporting on breaking news? Seems like it should be, like, almost two separate rules of engagement. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, that, so that's, like, to go... To, to talk more about that kind of straightforward reading of this movie, I think it's confused at the end because the solution is just to confuse everyone. The solution is to say things until they lose all meaning and for everyone to become confused to the point where they no longer take up any issue. Right? All right. So before we get too far, I want to bring, because Josh's last paragraph speaks to that. Okay. And I want to see, I want to bring this into the conversation. When the movie draws to a close, that credit, in credit sequences shown the news of uh, the sounds of news reports talking about the virus spreading, the containment did not work. We then cut to a truly bizarre post-credit scene, and where Grant and Sydney, this is the shock jock and radio producer respectively, mm-hmm. are dressed in evening attire, and the scene is in black and white. They're theater, not just black and white, like high contrast Sin City black, and, and not white. just evening attire. She's in full on geisha mode. Okay, and he's in a fucking. He looks like an international Quentin man of Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do some bad shit. Get up. Okay. Uh, their conversation <laughs> with is... a gun. <laughs> so sure. Uh, their conversation is theatrical, role play, shallow. But it go- as it goes on and becomes more real, more meaningful, the world begins to fill with color. Then Grant slips up and uses a term of endearment, and Sydney does the same and ends it with a shh. Oh, that's okay. So I, I miss that subtlety ah, in the first read. Gotcha. So the virus is still present in the world, and Grant and Sydney are surviving by keeping their conversations short and nonsensical. In a world where speaking is dangerous and understanding could lead to your demise, how do you communicate? Grant also uses a made-up word, anti-septualize, the opposite of conceptualize. If conceptualize means <laughs> to form an idea or concept of something, anti-septualize would mean to lose or break apart the understanding of an idea or concept. They are continuing to fight understanding itself. Yet in another sense, the entire sequence is so bizarre and disconnected that it serves as an inoculation of sorts, forcing you to find the connection between the movie and the post credit scene, thereby causing you to inceptualize what you've just watched. <laughs> I love that interpretation. It's interesting, yeah. That this is not turning everything that you saw on its ear. This is the movie's attempt to continue to bring you into the universe by anteceptualizing what you just saw. Like, this is the director's frantic attempt to do what Grant tried to do over the radio. Right. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, no, I I mean, I I certainly like that reading, too. Uh, Where it gets muddy for me, in a lot of regards, is the notion that it's only English, A, which leads me to either xenophobic conclusions or 
that there's something else specifically about English. Well, and the other that, thing, the other side of the the xenophobic coin is that like America's always bad coin. Like something about us is uniquely evil or bad or shallow or right, materialistic but, or But I don't so I guess I don't understand why in the end they've changed their speaking patterns as opposed to change the language they speak in. Hmm. Cuz the movie tells me straight up you can fix you can avoid all this by just not speaking English. But Grant doesn't know a lot of uh, French. To learn it. If your life's on the line, fucking learn it. Like, Go with sign language. Go something not even verbal. Yeah, like, go with writing. Go, I mean, maybe that's, you know, the stream of consciousness type of thing with radio where yeah. you don't have a lot of time to think about what you're saying, as is true in podcasts. Uh, but, yeah, if you're continually making up shit, and that does, it, it is interesting. So I like what he's saying about this uh, anti-sexualizing business. Mm-hmm. But you're right. In a movie that seems to be making its bones, talking about journalistic integrity and the right to report stuff with accuracy and the proper amount of urgency uh, and not to manufacture any of that stuff, that the idea that the only way to survive is to confuse issues. And not understand. And to avoid understanding things. Yeah. Like – it, that seems like something to hold out as like the the ultimate evil. Like that's the way, that's the end game of the virus. But they're making it seem like the salvation. And you're right. And there it doesn't. Is it doesn't even something to that that doesn't strike me right. I mean, is it? It also seems to be promoting distance from each other. Like you can't use these terms of endearment because emotional distance. Sure. Right. Emotional distance. Like, don't get it to seems know. To, yeah. It seems to be. I, I don't know. I, I honestly could not tell you what the message is. I think the black and white reading, the quote that he gave from somebody else, is a very, very surface level reading of this movie. Because there are a lot of things in here that confuse the issue. And I don't know if that's bad filmmaking. I don't know if that's just bad writing. And that that the director has, or the director, the writer has an idea of exactly what they're trying to say with this. Well, also or I think it's fine they to just be... threw a mishmash of ideas in there and didn't quite understand it themselves. I, I think it's fine to have like ninety percent of the movie be this one thrust, and you have ten percent that's provocative and also like in universe meta commentary on what you just said. Like, I think that's one way to see this film and kind of unify it. Like, but when he, they're it, speaking French or they're speaking in their code language, they're still understanding ideas. It's not. It's not antiseptual as they would say in any way because the ideas are still being conveyed so they had a solution that was conceptual and they moved to an antiseptual solution because they further evolved in understanding the virus maybe but they must have some form of communication to express their ideas to each other right when they're speaking otherwise why speak at all why communicate why interact at all because it's a human whether it's pig latin whether it's grunts and whistles and farts whether it's sign language or written language they're communicating ideas and it's when you understand it as they say in the movie that it becomes the virus yeah no honestly it reminds me a lot of like a ray bradbury short story from the 60s like this idea of you've got a disease spreading through the language you still have the human need for connection and understanding so you talk just to hear the comfort of someone else's voice but you also have to be inter- eternally vigilant that you don't express and it's almost like, you know, uh, the way w- people used to view sex uh, 
in, in, a, in a conservative fashion. Like that's all about love and starting a family. And then we, you know, once we decoupled the act of fucking from the act of baby making, we had the sexual revolution where now you had free sex and unattached sex. And that became kind of like the, like, you know, you can have like these one night stands and unemotional, like, is this anti-sexual conversation the, 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 the like analogous to a one-night meaningless sex stand? Like, I have a physical need to get laid, and I'm doing it, but I don't want to do. I don't. I don't want to understand this person. I want a, a deep connection to this person. I have this under. I have this need as a human to not be alone because I'm a social creature. So I'm I'm babbling meaningless babble to fill that physical need while also protecting myself. Like you know, that's like a verbal condom. Does that make any sense? Uh, I think I get what you're what you're going for, but at that point, it's useless. Well, I failed because I was uh, trying than, to couch it all in antisexual terms. <laughs> other than in the sense that you fulfill some internal need, you don't even fulfill that need because I mean, saying we're a social creature doesn't mean we're just talking; we're just making noises. It means we're communicating our ideas with each other. We're we're giving people part of ourselves in in telling them what we think and that very act is the thing that spreads the virus in this movie and i don't fucking understand what they're trying to say well but you're, by, you're assuming a lot of facts not in evidence like for example like if you were in a situation where you spent a year like say you and i were we were forced through circumstance to travel through an apocalyptic wasteland together okay. mm-hmm. for survival purposes but we couldn't talk to each other okay and, like, what if we realized at some point that, like, if we did this meaningless babble and avoided that, that, that it felt less lonely? Like, I, I mean, I'm just I'm just uh, it's a it's a sci fi concept of like you got to you got to buy into the idea of like hearing someone talk, even if there's no. But how would I express to you? It's not going to. Str- I'm hungry. I'm going to go get food. You would just go. I mean, yeah, you're right. You, you, you couldn't. I couldn't. How but, would but I express to you there's something you, dangerous so behind you? You're there's... still not getting the idea that I'm trying to decouple uh-huh. the physical and emotional need to be heard and to hear people from the, but, but we don't from the have... intellectual thing of communicating. Like, like you're right. But you're I, not... would, I would argue we don't have a desire to be heard. We have a desire to be understood. Well, you're like the 19th century person saying we don't have a desire to fuck. We have a desire to procreate and love. No, I, I disagree. I mean, well, like... <laughs> you can, sure. Is Like, what if I were to just hum constantly? Would that fulfill my... Would that fulfill me? I don't know. In the same sense that communicating an idea to someone does? I, I seriously doubt it. You, do, yeah, I doubt mean, it. I, you can doubt all you want. I'm not asking you to rigorously believe it in a scientific way. I'm like, I'm having trouble understanding why you're rejecting this concept utterly and you're going with the rest of the movie because... Again, it's the movie's asking you to believe in a bunch of pseudoscience to tell its story, and this is like the pseudoscience bridge too far. Like well, I, no, I I'm, know that I I, I cannot I, Yeah. Like, I, I'm I'm drawing on the entirety of human experience and the final scene of this movie, which is still them communicating ideas, right? Are they? Because that's what this like. Why what, are what, they t- why are they hanging out together if not to communicate ideas. To fulfill to a human need for, for uh, you know, the physical... What is, the, what is he saying then when he says, we're going to go rob this bank? What is he saying? I don't think he literally means he's going to rob a bank. What is he, she saying when she says, shh? Like, they're expressing ideas they, they here in this up. scene. As it goes to color, they're starting to conceptualize their ideas, and they fucked up, and they realize it, and they need to stop. 
Like, I know you don't like it, but I do feel like that's a, a very valid way to interpret what they're trying to do there. So. But through the course of this conversation, the, he's clearly saying we're going to go do something, right? But how do Whether you know that? Like, it, it, it's, it's such. Because, because of his body language, because of the actions he's taking. He's cocking his gun. He's about to get up. Like, But he's also telling you the whole time with his anti-sexualized that he's trying to destroy the idea and concepts of things uh-huh so like why are you so you you're unable to again you're unable to decouple the idea of, isn't that an idea in itself isn't he communicating that idea by not communicating any ideas i mean i don't know like why does saying giraffe 15 times in a row destroy the meaning of the word i, I you're asking me to theorize on physical constructs that are not real I, but I feel like you're. The, uh, I mean, no. I, I feel guess like I would argue, any time there are two people in close proximity to each other, they will either completely ignore each other entirely or be communicating ideas. There is no in between. Yeah, but you're not granting the concept of you know you're not. I don't think that you're allowing yourself to entertain the idea of what this world would be like. You know, a year, two years, five years into the future of like really living in this world and what the implications of that would be, which is fine. You can reject it, but I'm saying like, I think the movie is asking you to think about that. My, I guess my larger point is they're never safe because they always have to communicate with each other. I think that's one of the horrific aspects of that final scene. Like even people that are this practiced at this kind of nonsense existence still have to, are, are one word away from fucking up and infecting each other. Mm-hmm. And that's like the horror. That's like you know, is that even you know? That's that's like essentially the Walking Dead. Like that, it it it, it, it makes sure to ask us that every fifteen fucking minutes. Is this even life? Is this even worth living? Would we be better off blowing our heads off? Is like, this is this meager existence like worth it? Like those are classic zombie questions to ask. Right. I like all of this kind of stems from the idea that English is the problem, and I don't understand that. I don't fucking get that in this movie. Well, again, yeah, I, and you're right. I don't understand why English is the problem. Because if English I is the problem, that's... boom, there's a simple solution. It's not about understanding the idea. It's about the, the actual okay, so phonetics what of about, the words spoken. What right? Because like, I'm, just, I'm just trying to stay one step ahead of fan fiction with you at this point. What if... Because uh, I always thought that when I was watching this, like, why are they so sure that if, if, it's, the, if it's understanding the meanings of words, right. then why does writing it down... You know, right. because yeah. people have proven that when you read stuff in your head, you're activating the speech sensors of your brain. Sure. Yeah. So I'm dangerously bringing in real science in this movie. But like there's so one concept is they've understood that like even writing down stuff is not safe anymore. And also like just like when we have avian or swine flu jump from avians to swines to humans, like why couldn't this verbal virus morph to where it infects the French language or it infects the Portuguese language or anything like that. Right, and they don't how virus, they, they don't make that connection in the movie and I don't understand right. if that final scene is supposed to be, you know, post finding out that all language is infected. So fuck it, we're gonna use English and I think that's what you're supposed avoid. to I think I th- and again, this is dangerous because we've only seen the movie once, but I kinda think those are the questions and the feelings you're supposed to have when you wa- when you're confronted with the absurdity of that scene. Okay. But I, I mean, I still come back to like body language, right? There's there are many imperceptible ways that we're communicating, yeah, and no, trying to I, avoid that as a fool's errand. I know, yeah, you don't you have to you, communicate. You don't want to. I mean, 
I don't. I can't tell whether you're just not fully committing. I can't tell whether my understanding is flawed. Whether I'm way in the tank for this movie. Whether you're failing to fully commit to the concept of the movie or all, portions of all of those three. But I feel like you know we've. Well, probably... I think I wonder if the concept of the movie is not able to be as conclusive as it would like to be. Well, I in that by for, for its budget and its allotted runtime. Like, do we need a Pony Pool too? I maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I don't know, but I I kind of feel like we've ran this con this part sure. of the discussion to the ground, and and that's can, all. Can that I ask Josh you a, a couple of very small questions here? Of course. So they they make mention of you know hearing these people making the sound of windshield wipers, right? What is that sound? Is it the sound of a broken wiper? Is it the sound of a properly functioning wiper? Or or properly functioning wiper? Is it on, squeaking? On dry? It... On wet? Like... Right. Can you try and make that sound? Can can we? It's onomatopoeia, right? Like, what is that? Like, I, that's why I think I thought they really muddied the terms when the one girl got stuck making the whistle from the tea kettle. Right. Yeah. Like, what? And then that's the thing. That's like, not understanding a, a concept. Yeah. And I don't, I don't understand. Like, that, like, middle phase of the virus is where I think both is the movie, uh, it, it's, it's the movie's cloak because it's so poorly understood that you could, like, write any understanding on it. And it's also kind of a weakness because you're right. Oh, you know, that's why I kind of throw up my hands to like logically determine the rules of this stuff because the movie, mm-hmm. like that aspect of it is fully illogical. Like none of this stuff makes sense in any kind of real way. I think so it's you even can only interpret money, it, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that they, they just take it to its natural. Like again, you know, maybe you need to read more, read more Ray Bradbury, but like that's kind of like a sci- science fiction hobby horse is to take a concept to its absurd, I mean, most surreal conclusion. Sure, I've read all of this shit. Uh, all this Huxley stuff, 1984. Mm. I mean, all that stuff is absurdist conclusions, like extremist uh, And I think that maybe he's ideas, trying to but... go for that. And the other thing, it's I think it's telling that it's a post-credit sequence mm. that I imagine the filmmaker thinks is, is going to assume that many, many people are not going to see this. Like, it's not a vital piece of the film. It's the, this is something for like the people that have saw this movie several times, read it on the internet. Oh shit. There's a post-credit sequence. Like it's an additional payload to hit. It's not a vital part of the package. He's trying to deliver. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, shit, like I know for a fact, I'm going to watch this a bunch more times and probably read a bunch. Like, you know, we got a couple doozies coming up because, you know, we got, I think, Primer after Primer's this. next, yeah. Is it really? Yeah. Because... I mean, back to back to back. I mean, Mulholland Drive yeah, this like and this Primer is... The, this, I think that this is like... A, this is like Mystery Science Theater 3000 where you got the fucking Dr. Forrester trying to drive us insane. Like, uh-huh. why would you hit someone with Mulholland Drive, Pontypool, and Primer all in a row? Okay, like, I'm going to try and inoculate the audience here <laughs> as a final... As a, Are you going to make the sound thing. of a windshield wiper? Nope, I, I'm going to go one better here. Uh, I'm going to tell people to stop understanding us, and then I'm going to say primer. Pigment. Canada. Tomatoes. Arnold Schwarzenegger. P- palm tree. Butthole. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Bell pepper. They're understanding you. You got to get crazier with it. Right. Uh, Shoots and ladders. Creator. Kill. Kiss. <laughs> Do we have to kiss? Is that is that the only way you can stop recording? Do you have to kiss me now? No. God, no. We're All done. Right. We're Don't done. pretend like you like, haven't I feel done like it. that was a good exercise at the end, though. It's You know what? It is really hard 
to like free associate without actually associating yeah like like yeah free association is hard but then to say like think of the opposite it's like telling someone like hey uh rhinoceros don't think about what a rhinoceros yeah you can't think of something entirely random yeah and that's why i think like the idea of this mimetic virus is super scary and powerful because you could if, if something like this were real We'd be so fucked. Oh, yeah. Because our our whole brains and evolutionary history has been wired to make us ultra susceptible to this particular disease. So hopefully it'll always stay into the realm of science fiction. Uh, Speaking of science fiction, Primer's next. I'm excited about that one. Me too. That's one of my favorite movies. Uh, Pontypool actually has turned out to be a a really strong contender in that category. Surprisingly so. Yeah, no, I I was not prepared for this movie's jelly. Yep. Um, and I wasn't either for Primer because you'd already you'd already set me up for it to be like this thing. And when I watched it the first time, uh, it confounded my. He still managed to confound my expectations. Right. Uh, and I underestimated it like thirty minutes into the movie. So uh, here you go. Uh, if you, if you want to be, I, it, where can you see Primer? I think I don't I don't know that there's a. Uh, a free way to stream it. I think it's available on Amazon. I think that's how I watched it. I think you maybe. I think you can buy it. Where yeah, is it it's on definitely Netflix? on Amazon. I think you can buy it through Shane Carruth's website. It might be on Netflix right now. I'm not sure. I haven't actually sat down and watched it in a long time. Yeah. No, it looks like it's. Um... Yeah, apparently it is. Okay, cool. So it's on Netflix. It's on most of the streaming services. Yeah, because I remember I, I did I did stream it, but I couldn't remember where. But uh, there you go. It is. You can watch it on Netflix. Another one. There's no excuse to not to not be not be ready for our book club next week. Uh, we'll be coming at you with primer. Uh, if you want to commission your own podcast, I, I should I should uh, start conceptualizing again. Uh, if you want to commission your own podcast, uh, like Josh did here, and again, special thanks Josh for blowing our minds. Uh, you can do so by going to baldmove.com/shop. Uh, click on the film canister looking thing, and there's a variety of community selections where people have uh, suggest nominated titles for us to watch, and we're just waiting for people to chip in ten bucks at a time to make the project happen. Or you can also just like do what Josh did and commission your favorite movie or you know a movie you think is going to rock our world, and and we'll make a podcast for it like we did this one. Uh, until the next time, I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. Bye everybody.